During the month of August, we're reviewing and teaching some of the ministry philosophies of Grace Fellowship Church. Now, these are mindsets we live by and principles that that guide us as we do ministry. And if you're a part of the Grace family, it's really important to me that you know these. I mean, really important to me. I want you to know them. And the better you know them, the more you're probably gonna flourish at Grace. Not just at Grace though, but, but as you walk as a disciple of Jesus Christ, wherever that journey takes you. So far, We've looked at three-circle thinking. Then we explored methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change, principles never do. And today, I want to unpack one of the ministry philosophies that is definitely uh, dearest to me. It is this mantra. Oh, I hope you'll remember this mantra. Your life is your ministry. Your life is your ministry. Now, What does your life is your ministry mean and where in the world did it come from? I first heard that statement from one of my mentors, an old, gnarly, Billy Graham team veteran named Charlie Riggs. The full statement Charlie made to me that day is, and he made it often, Rex, you don't have a ministry. Your life is your ministry. You don't have a ministry. Your life is your ministry. Now for Charlie, that was a key discipleship and ministry philosophy that that he lived by. See, he viewed ministry in the kingdom of God through that particular lens. I don't know if he got it from someone else, but I've never heard it anywhere else, which, which makes me think it was probably original with him. Now, a great biblical basis for the idea that your life is your ministry is 2 Corinthians, uh, some verses from from chapter 3 and chapter 4. So follow along as I share this now. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, please note this radical idea Paul is giving us here, particularly that portion of verse 18, chapter three, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Wow. Did you hear that? We, you and me, all of us, followers of Jesus, we are this reflection of God's glory. Do you get the implications of that? That means that when people see us, they're supposed to be able to see a glimpse of God. 
If our job, as John Wesley said, is to give the world the right impression of God, well, the question is, how are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? When people see you, when people see me, are they seeing a pretty accurate likeness or impression of who God is? Oh, I, I believe me, I know it's a scary thought, but we, think about this, we are the product. We are the advertisement for God. We reflect His glory, both individually and as a community. As Paul says clearly in this passage, to reflect His glory, by the way, that, that may sound strange to some of you, in large part, that simply means that God's character is seen in us. Now, please keep that in mind as we unpack this philosophy of ministry today it is incredibly important that we really get this idea etched deeply in our souls. So, what does your life as your ministry really mean? And what are some of the implications of it? First, when it comes to the individual disciple, that phrase, your life as your ministry, means character trumps competence every time. Above all, above all, I believe Charlie was saying, hey, whatever your level of gifting may be, ultimately, your legacy is not going to be greater than your character. That's true of you, and that's true of me. The legacy we leave behind will not be greater than our character. There are four C's that employers are often looking for in potential employees. And if you're, if you're a business owner out there, if you're a supervisor, a leader, you, you probably have used these C's as you look for potential employees. You know what they are, right? Character, competence, chemistry, and culture. And sometimes, sometimes a fifth C will be added, coachability. Coachability. They're all crucial. And in an ideal world, hopefully you can find employees with all five of those qualities. But I find it interesting that in the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul speaks to both Timothy and Titus, both young pastors, about what to look for in future team members, specifically future elders in the church, you know what? <clears throat> he doesn't mention the five C's. In fact, you could write everything Paul says about competence, chemistry, culture, and coachability on the back of a postage stamp. It seems that it's not the crucial question for him. What Paul majors on is character. These leaders have to be people of character. Why? Because their life is their ministry. Ultimately, your legacy is not going to be greater than your character. So, if you're a leader today, integrity, character is the key to your leadership. John MacArthur said, according to scripture, virtually everything that truly qualifies a person for leadership is directly related to character. Not about style, status, personal charm, charisma, clout, worldly measurements of success. Integrity is the main issue that makes the difference between a good leader 
and a bad one. And I believe that's absolutely true. We've seen that illustrated in the past year or so among nationally known leaders in the United States. I'm not gonna name the names. You could fill in the blanks with leaders of whom you're aware. Fabulously gifted people. Men and women with enormous influence and charisma. But it became known that there were some serious cracks in the foundation of character and respect has been lost. Thankfully, thankfully, it doesn't undo all the good they did but it does serve to illustrate the saying that character trumps competence every single time. A man was being tailgated by a stressed out woman on a busy boulevard and suddenly the light turned yellow just right in front of him. Well, he did the right thing. He he slowed down. He he stopped at the crosswalk, Even even though he could have beaten the red light by accelerating through the intersection. Well, the tailgating woman was furious and honked her horn, screaming in frustration as she missed her chance to get through the intersection, dropping her cell phone and makeup in the process. And as she was still in mid-rant, she heard a tap on her window and looked up into the face of a very serious police officer. The, The officer ordered her to exit the car with her hands up. He took her to the police station where she was searched, fingerprinted, photographed, placed in a holding cell. And after a couple of hours, a policeman approached the cell and opened the door. She was escorted back to the booking desk where, she, where the arresting officer was waiting there with all of her personal effects. He said, I am very sorry for this mistake. But you see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blaring your horn in anger, flipping off the guy in front of you and cursing a blue streak at him. I don't don't know. I, I couldn't help but notice the choose life license plate holder, the what would Jesus do bumper sticker on one side and the follow me to Sunday school bumper sticker on the other side and the chrome plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk. Naturally, I assumed you'd stolen the car. (laughs) Can I tell you something? Our message will always be heard in context with our character. The Irish evangelist Gypsy Smith used to say, there are five gospels, five. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian." And most people will never read the first four. You say, but Rex, Pastor Rex, don't you know that Christians aren't perfect? Just forgiven. And Rex, don't you know that we're not asking people to accept Christians? We're asking people to accept Christ. Yeah, technically, technically that is true. But dear friends, The gospel is usually seen before it's heard. And if over time people don't see a qualitative difference in our lives, I think they have a right to question our message. We are called, as 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we read it just a bit earlier, we're called to reflect the Lord's glory. His character should be glimpsed in our character. 
It will always be only an approximation, but it should be there. So when it comes to the individual disciple, when we say at Grace, hey, your life is your ministry, we're affirming, first of all, that character trumps competence. Secondly, to say your life is your ministry from a pragmatic point of view means our goal, oh, you need to listen closely now and you need to keep on listening or you're gonna misunderstand what I'm about to say. Our goal is to get our members out of the church facilities more than into them. Now, ooh, listen closely right now. That's gonna take some explaining because it's so counter to what most church leaders think and how most church goers think. Our ultimate product as a church is healthy disciples. Healthy disciples. A healthy disciple is one who actually represents Jesus well out in the world. In other words, disciples who reflect the Lord's glory like we read earlier. That means our primary goal, listen now, is not, our primary goal is not how many people come into our church buildings. Now, of course, it always feels nice to have a lot of people in the building. Would you agree? I love it. And I think we're all dying for the day in September when hopefully we can return in full force as a church family, unencumbered by gathering restrictions and all that junk. Hallelujah, we're looking forward to that. I want to regather again, full force, back in our church buildings. Praise God. But what I'm saying right now has nothing to do with regathering as a church family after this pandemic. So as much as possible, please, 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 right now, please get your mind off the realities of the pandemic. But get this. A church's power and impact must never be determined by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. Did you get that? Not by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. Hear me today, please. It's not how many are coming into the building, but how many are going out of the building on mission for God that matters. Healthy Christians get this. Oh, I hope you have ears to hear that. So let's unpack the implications of that for just a minute or two here. I get excited when I see a new program really take on, taking off and creating a lot of buzz and interest at the church. Oh, that feels so good. It feels good to me as a pastor. For instance, when I see the marriage ministry at Latham going strong and having large numbers of people involved and excited and getting genuinely helped, oh, I wanna thank those leaders and I praise God for that. I know you do too. But you know why I feel that way? Because that means we're speaking to some perceived needs. And when I hear about wonderful midweek ministries and classes being offered in our church facilities with such active participation and warm fellowship. That thrills my heart. It feels like a real kingdom wind. You know what I mean? Oh, it feels so good. When I hear about robust involvement in men's and women's events at our different campuses, that thrills my soul. In fact, I wanna slap high fives with staff and jump for joy 
with volunteer leaders because it feels great. When I hear about people coming to our buildings at at our campuses for prayer and worship and Bible studies, again, hear me today, it feels so promising because that visible response of people in the building suggests progress. Every pastor I know is just like me on this point. We love to have lots of people in our church buildings. You know why? Because it implies we're being successful. Are you still listening? Are you still listening? You need to get this. Please listen. But at the end of the day, and at the end of the year, when all the dust has settled, if any of those programmatic ministry offerings we have, and I could mention dozens, dozens of specific ones we offer at Grace, if at the end of the day they don't produce mature, healthy disciples and or new converts to the faith, you know what? We may just be keeping the saints busy. That's all. We may just be keeping the saints busy so they don't have time to get out in the real world and make a difference. Oh, friends, oh, friends, we've got to really drill this into our souls. We want the people of Grace Fellowship to be so mature, so equipped, that technically, technically they don't need our programs. They're so busy out there letting their life be their ministry that if they had to choose, thankfully they don't, but if they had to choose, it would literally be second best to have to stop and attend one of our building-based ministry programs. Now, I know for some of you, reality check, for some of you, I know your head is spinning right now. You've never heard anything like this in your life. You're going, Ethel, is our pastor going crazy? Is he nuts right now? You're freaking out in your mind right now. You can't imagine. Oh, you can't imagine for the life of you. You can't imagine anything better than a building filled with busy saints. You think that's what the kingdom is all about. And I'm suggesting today there's one thing, one thing that's better And that is those same wonderful saints out in their communities reflecting the Lord's glory and letting their life be their ministry. That's even better. (laughs) Some of you may want to push back right now and go, whoa, whoa, time out, wait a minute, pastor. Are you saying, pastor, are you saying it's wrong for us to come together in the building? No, not at all. Let's be biblically balanced in this. We're called to gather and we're called to scatter. Let's be clear about that. Hebrews 10, 25, what a great verse it is. Paul, or the writer of Hebrews says, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I love that verse. What a wonderful challenge. We're called to gather as the people of God, but, but, but we're also called to go into all the world and make disciples, as Jesus said in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. So are you with me here? 
We're called to gather and we're called to go. Gather and go. Gather and go. Gather and go. Most churches are much better at gathering than they are at going. And that's the understatement of the century. So, your life is your ministry. It means that while we recognize, honor, and celebrate all the wonderful ministries that go on in our buildings, when we gather, we must always remember the ultimate goal of all of our programs and ministries is to get the people out of the church facilities where they can reflect the Lord's glory to the lost world who desperately needs the right impression of God. Do you understand that the average person walking around out there in the capital district doesn't have the right impression of God? It's your job and mine to give them the right impression of God. That means we're going to have to interact with them. Wow. We've got to interact with them. We've got to have conversations. We need to be near them. There needs to be proximity. And that, my friends, is radical. But it's something we need to drill in our souls. It's one of the radical implications of that statement. Your life is your ministry. Now, finally, finally, an implication of this statement, your life is your ministry, for the whole question of placing leaders is that giving a person a title, a position, and a paycheck won't make them a minister. <laughs> oh, my goodness. If a person's not already doing ministry and representing Jesus well where they are, listen now, just giving them a title, putting them on a staff, or sending them on a mission trip won't suddenly make them a minister. Years ago at Grace, we had a young man who was seminary trained, and he had completed his Master of Divinity degree at a wonderful seminary. He had a beautiful family. He was handsome, well-spoken. He wanted to be hired by Grace, and I, frankly, would have loved to have hired him. He had a huge likability factor, if you know what I mean. He was easy to be around. He actually talked with me about employment at Grace as a pastor on several occasions. And his wife, his wife wanted to be hired by Grace even more than he wanted to be hired. And I asked one day, well, how, how is your life being your ministry right now? He responded, well, he couldn't do ministry right now because he's a school teacher. And I said, oh, well, I, I, I know you can't do Bible studies or make evangelistic presentations in your public school classroom. I get that. I get that completely. That's not what I'm asking about. That, that's not what I'm talking about here. I want to know, how are you ministering to your neighbors, your fellow re, uh, teachers in, in the teacher's lounge, maybe, or others in, in your sphere of influence? Are you leading a small group under the auspices of Grace Fellowship? Are you serving in any ministry here? That's what I'd love to hear about. And the answer to all of those questions was no. And so I shared that in my experience, just giving someone a title, a position, and a paycheck won't magically turn them into a minister. Gently 
gently, I explained that unless I saw evidence that he was doing ministry on his own without a title and a position and a paycheck, I could not consider having him on staff. But I said, if over time, if over time he demonstrated that ability to let his life be his ministry, title or no title, I would be delighted to consider him as a potential pastor at Grace. But sadly, sadly, that that never happened. So to say your life is your ministry means you understand when you got saved, you got ordained. You're in the ministry. Did you know that? You're in the ministry. You don't need someone's approval to minister. You don't need someone to put you on staff or ordain you to make you a minister. Jesus already did. Jesus ordained you. The only question is, how are you doing with that? Are you ministering for Jesus and representing him well wherever you are and and however you happen to be making a living? Do you know what spiritual gifts God's given you? And are you using those for his glory? I want to put it to you, friends. I want to put it to you as plainly and as bluntly as I possibly can. If the church of Jesus Christ keeps relying on people with titles, positions, and paychecks alone to change the world, it's never going to happen. But if every follower of Jesus, are you hearing me today? If every follower of Jesus were to realize the power of the statement, your life is your ministry, whoo, the sleeping giant called the church would suddenly come alive and begin to kick the devil around a little bit. So by God's grace, we're going to keep on building healthy disciples who truly understand their life is their ministry. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this radical idea from your very heart that we are the product. We're the advertisement. We're the blazing billboard all across the Capital District and beyond that says this is what God is like. That thought scares us to death. Help us to understand how serious you are that you want your glory to be revealed in us. Your glory, your character, who you are, You want us to give the world the right impression, Father, of who you really are. By your grace and by the power of your spirit, may we let our life be our ministry. In Jesus' name, amen.